invite you to remain standing for our reading of scripture today, which comes to us out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. We read verses 13 through 21. Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as Scripture is read, as word is proclaimed, help us hear with joy what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. Today we conclude our series on stewardship uh, titled Defying Gravity, and we conclude it with... Uh, a message entitled, When We Get It Right, When We Get It Right. Have you ever heard of the story of the legend of the Terracotta Army? The Terracotta Army. The Terracotta Army is a collection of sculptures depicting the vast armies of one emperor named Shen Shi Wang. Everybody together say Shen Shi Wang. Now you know what I'm going to go through the rest of this sermon. And Shen Shi Wang, I'm already getting the she, 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 she's. <clears throat> Shen Shi Wang was the first emperor of China. The first emperor of China. He ruled at a time when, when various provinces were at war with one another. And a great military leader he was. He, he conquered province after province after province and created one nation, launching what would become known in history as the Shin Dynasty. The Shin Dynasty, spelled Q-I-N, pronounced Shin. And this is uh, what China was named after, where they got their name from. Shin Shi Wang had an expansive vision for his country. His public works projects included the unification of diverse state walls into what later became the Great Wall of China, and he had the foundations put in for a massive new road system to connect the provinces of China. One of the great emperor's greatest concerns, however, was his own death. And perhaps a lot of us can identify with that. He undertook a futile search for an elixir of immortality, which, of course, he did not find. Realizing that he would, in fact, die one day because 
unfortunately, statistics prove that one out of one is born and one out of one dies. I'll let that sit for a minute. So realizing that he would, in fact, die one day, he used his wealth and his power to build uh, a city-sized mausoleum for himself. Um, And this isn't just some small cathedral-type thing that you can just walk into. This sucker was massive. Craftsmen created life-size terracotta army soldiers to guard it for him. The purpose of the warriors, the the cavalry, the soldiers, and the horses, all created out of terracotta, was to protect the emperor in his afterlife. The army took many, many years to build. We don't know exactly how many years it took to build, but by the time that Shen Shi Wang died in the year 210 B.C., his mausoleum was surrounded by more than 8,000 terracotta soldiers. Along with chariots, life-size horses, all made of terracotta. Next time your child or grandchild enjoys playing in the mud, remember that and see if y'all can create yourself a mud or a terracotta soldier. And there's pictures after they've uncovered, they uncovered this, this mausoleum of terracotta uh, soldiers and the pictures and diagrams of them and you cannot help but be amazed at China's first emperor and how Shen Shi Wang's focused all of his resources on himself and his experience of the afterlife. It's amazing. I didn't say it was good amazing, I just said it's amazing. (laughs) 200 years later and 4,000 miles away though, a Jewish rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth began teaching people about another kingdom, a kingdom called the kingdom of God. And like Shin Shi Wong, Jesus was bringing people together, but not in a nation of physical boundaries or a dynasty based on birthright. Jesus was welcoming people into a kingdom that would extend over every national boundary and unite people across all time. And rather than teaching people to amass fortunes and power in this life or or create a false sense of security in the afterlife, Jesus taught his followers to be generous with love, generous with forgiveness, and generous in their kindness. He taught them to be careful about the unusual gravity of money, wealth, and possessions that, that would draw them away from God's kingdom. He told a story We call them parables about a man who had an unusually uh, uh, wealthy harvest. The man, rather than than sharing his harvest with those who uh, who were needy, decided to build a bigger barn in which to hold all of his wealth so that he could sit back and, as it says in Scripture, eat, drink, and be merry. So he built 
the bigger barn. And Jesus finished his story out of Luke in this way. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? When we're gone, we come into this world with nothing. And we leave this world with what? Nothing. Whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. The phrase rich toward God really stands out for us here. You know, both Shin Shi Wong and Jesus were teaching about the afterlife. One built, ultimate, built an ultimate bigger barn. A palace, a mausoleum guarded by terracotta warriors he thought would support him in eternity, but which in turn become covered with dirt and slowly broke apart. And the other, Jesus, would have nothing of that. He told people, be rich toward God, not towards yourselves. He says in Matthew chapter 6, 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not and cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why did Jesus teach these things? And, and, and why don't great leaders like Shin Shi Wong teach like this? It's because leaders like Shin Shi Wong are selfish leaders using their wealth to further their own selves. But we serve a king who put us above everything. That was him. We serve a king who loves us more than we can ever imagine. Who is willing to give up everything, even life. Jesus wants the best for all of our lives. He wanted us to finish our lives with the knowledge that we were already in the kingdom of heaven. We don't, we don't have to fear death because the, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is not, not some place in a three-story universe where there's heaven and earth and hell. That the kingdom of heaven is, is not some far-off land into which one day some glad morning will all fly away. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven are here and now whenever we do the will of God and align our lives for God's purposes. That's the kingdom of God. We have no fear of death because Jesus' offer of salvation, once we accept it and experience it for the gift that it is, secures our lives to the life and the care of the greatest king who will ever reign. Jesus Christ. Jesus told us to live a generous life 
in every way. So that way we could have the assurance of our salvation. Confidence that we would spend eternity with God. And a sense of significance and goodness in the here and the now that we live in. Sometimes, you know, when we talk about stewardship in the church, it sounds like that God, sometimes it may even sound like the church is after our money. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but sisters and brothers, I have some news. God is out for something so much more valuable than our money. That we give our lives to the kingdom of God's work. God is after something much more valuable than our money. God is after us. God is after every person out there. The key to being a good steward is offering our lives to God with joy so that way we can be mature and be transformed over time. This is why generosity is, is a gravity-defying act. The gravity of this world makes it seem impossible sometimes to display the devotion and sacrifice generosity to God requires while at the same time experiencing joy. You ever heard the saying, sometimes it hurts to give? Well, it's true. And sometimes we feel that hurt with such intensity that we ought not to give whether it be of our resources or our time. As we grow in our identity as stewards, we will increasingly make sacrifices to be generous with our time, with our character and money in ways that will result in joy instead of resentment. It takes a process to go from giving until it hurts to experiencing the joy that giving brings. It's not an overnight process, and it's not designed to be. Our progression to joyous stewardship was described, I like how, how uh, Francis uh, de Salle, who was a 16th century Catholic priest and a bishop, I like how he describes it. DeSalle wrote that, quote, Our initial experience of God occurs when our soul first experiences grace. DeSalle uh, compared people at this initial state of grace, introduction to grace, describes it as uh, to that of an ostrich. An ostrich can run. In fact, it is one of the fastest land birds alive. Might even be the fastest. Anybody confirm that? Anyway. An ostrich can run, but cannot fly. Such people wanting to get something from God, but not willing to give of themselves in return, can't break the gravity of this world even for a moment, and therefore they spend their time desperately looking for new ways to receive God's love and God's mercy without ever taking off from the ground. The Sal would go on to say there is another step in the spiritual life of the stewardship journey. 
It occurs when a person responds to God's grace through occasional acts of goodness and charity. At this stage, there is a response. There is something. But the acts of kindness are, are short-lived. Such people, they Sal said, are like chickens. Chickens can fly. They can. But only for a brief moment. Am I right? Are you with me this morning? But it's, chickens can fly, but it's limited and it's clumsy. You ever watch a chicken fly? I will not demonstrate it this morning. Roy, come see. <laughs> chickens spend the vast majority of their time on the ground. They can break free from gravity for a short period of time, but they must always return to earth. As a result, their lives are spent in a very limited space. Devotion, according to Sal, is the key to freedom and joy in the Christian life. I want you to hear that one more time. Devotion is the key to freedom and joy in the Christian life. People who are fully devoted to God fly like the birds of the air. Taking flight as, as naturally, and he uses the metaphor of an eagle at this point. Such people receive God's grace, become dedicated to God's work with their whole lives. They, they long to serve God with all that they have, their ability, their time, their strength, and, and their resources. Such people are generous for God because they both recognize and celebrate God's generosity to them. One reason, though, that many often don't take off like the, from a move from ostrich to chicken to eagle or one to the other is because the increased devotion required for each new stage feels too much like sacrifice. Sometimes the hurt in giving is too much. Though generosity may be a, a, a path to deeper joy and freedom, it does require us to part with the things that sometimes we may hold dear and offer up things from ourselves for them to go to higher and bigger purposes. And this is why we give in the life of the church. This is why we have the practice of tithing and also why it can be so difficult. On one hand, giving money to a church or nonprofit is an act of commitment to God's work in the community based on the awareness of all God has done in our lives. But on the other hand, giving is a painful loss of money. Can I get an amen? <laughs> that could have been enjoyed elsewhere. And when you have children, elsewhere comes often. Can I get another amen? <laughs> even though we love Jesus, even though we go to church and we want to go to church, we live divided at times because of the varying degree of financial gravity that we experience. We cannot blame Jesus, however, for such a predicament in our personal lives. 
Jesus told us that sacrifice would be part of following him. Hello? Luke 9, 23 says this, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Here, Jesus puts all of us on notice that sacrifice is part of the package. The beautiful cross that today adorns our sanctuary or hangs from a necklace that we wear or from the walls in our homes and our buildings had only one purpose in Jesus' day. It was a cruel instrument of death. It was an embarrassing mark. And it served as a warning that the Romans were in control and they were not to be defied. And Jesus' life ended on one of those crosses. Folks, this was the greatest act of generosity of all time. And there never will again be an act that can come close to living up to that. When Jesus' followers later recorded his statement that they would have to pick up their crosses daily, they knew that sacrifice was going to be involved. Thankfully, the vast majority of Christians in our country will never know the type of sacrifice that Jesus experienced. Thankfully, most of us will never have to understand the type of sacrifice that Jesus went through. And yet, based on the statistics that we discussed previously in our uh, uh, messages, even a modest level of sacrifice seems too much for many Christians. And for some people, it must be too much and too painful of a cross to bear. But by contrast, the Christians who, who do accept the challenge and make the sacrifice find their appreciation of God's love and grace more than compensates for any loss of money, any loss of time, any loss of resources that we could ever imagine. The things that we are experience because of what we give far outweighs any actual gift we may give. There is no price on grace. If MasterCard wants to do a priceless commercial, they need to do it on grace. Folks, the, the, the possibilities then are all around us. They're in our church, they're in our neighborhood, they're, they're in our community. Every time we are generous with our time, every time we're generous with our talent, our treasure, we have invested in something that is truly great. Folks, all of us can defy gravity in one way or another. It doesn't take a lot of money. It doesn't take a, a, a high income. It does take time. It does take sacrifice. It takes a shift in our view of the world, perhaps, and we must perhaps learn to see our lives as belonging to God and trust that God will direct our lives in generous ways that will bring us joy and significance in our sacrifice, in our giving. God longs for us to experience a life in Christ in joy. 
a life that will enable us to be generous, a life with kindness and compassion and love evidence in the way that we use our money and our time. Such a life enables us to break free from the world's gravity and enjoy the pool of God's kingdom so that the Spirit may be evident in the lives that we live. So I have one last challenge in the life of this series for us. You know, we've been talking about generosity throughout these weeks in this series, and, 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 and you've been tasked with challenges to, to clean out a, a space in your house, uh, to, to create a budget, or to live simply. But this week, I, your challenge is a prayerful thought to your own life and the generosity Jesus invites us all to experience. If you're a member of this, of this congregation, uh, this Sunday is our commitment Sunday. It's a time where, where we, make, uh, we, we make a commitment to God for the coming year so that way the life and the ministries of this church may reach out well beyond just the walls of our sanctuary and even beyond the bounds of our community, but reach out to all of those who need to hear about the grace and the love of God. So our challenge today is to complete the estimate of giving card that you may have received in the mail. Uh, if uh, you were sent a letter or we have those up here, if you need one, would like to fill one of those out. If you are a member of our congregation, if you're visiting with us today, I encourage you to be in prayer about the church that you call home and about where you give your gifts to your congregation this day and about what you're going to be doing on your journey of generosity with your home congregation. And we'll be in prayer with that with you today. And for all of us, this is the time to prepare take up the challenge of generosity for our congregation, for the people of this community, and for God.